This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we are talking about how to drink your wine. You open the bottle, you pour it into a glass, you swallow it. Ah, yes, Grasshopper, a wise plan indeed. (laughs) But does a glass matter? I'm Rick Cushman. Uh, I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're going to talk about whether the wine glass really matters much. We'll have some history about wine glasses and whether Marie Antoinette's bosom was any influence. A listener asks about decanters. And as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're talking about whether your wine glass matters. Well, it does if it's a dribble glass and it makes you spill wine down your front. Yeah, I, you know, I turn every glass into a dribble glass. So, but <laughs> Every glass is a dribble glass, but, glass with Rick but Cushman. no dribbling glasses today. But is it taste affected by the glass? Before we get into it, we need to we need to point out why this sort of has come up, because it's been in the news, at least it was right. in past weeks. Yep. Uh, it involves Regal. Yeah, that's and the big wine company. That, the big um, wine glass. The big company. wine glass company. Right. They are. Um, they are everywhere. And it's a long story. Um, but in 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 short, they uh, threatened to sue a friend of ours, a guy named uh, Ron Washam, who writes Hosemaster of Wine. Very yes. funny guy. And he's a very funny guy. And if you think, in fact, that the column written by someone who calls himself the Hosemaster of Wine <laughs> is serious. You're kind of a goofball, and that's apparently what Mr. Riedel yes. did. He took him seriously. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Uh, Hosemaster makes fun of everybody big in the industry. Yeah, which is why we're never on his list. We are safe. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and he wrote, he wrote an obviously fake interview with George Riedel, the 10th generation glassmakers. They go back to the 17th century. And right. he basically made it up, and it was silly, and, and everything. And it was actually pretty dead on, and who cares? It was funny. It made fun of the fact that wine snobs take their wine glasses seriously. So seriously, ah, uh, yes, yeah. which is what we're going to get to in just a second, and 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 one of the things you know we here in America uh, always feel a little safe doing satire because we can get away with it, but it, the British libel laws are and, and defamation laws are very very t- much tougher, and it was written for Tim Atkin, who is a master of wine for his mm-hmm. based in the UK. He's based in the UK, and it was for his website, and so it went around and around. But what happened was. Uh, common sense prevailed, at least in the fact, in the form of everybody else getting really upset about they're picking on this one guy who is makes fun of everyone, and they've sort of slowly backed away. Um, My favorite part is that uh, Tim eventually ran an introduction to the column. Yes. Which stated that it was satire. Yes, and if you read the first two sentences, you <laughs> yes. know it's satire. This is so satire. It's very funny. It's sort of like somebody needing to run uh, something before our show yeah, exactly. and saying, don't pay attention don't, to these guys. Don't take these guys seriously <laughs> yes. at all. All right. But, but what it does do, actually, because we are always looking for um, the, the, a twist, uh, something that. Twisted. A, I think a, we're a, just looking for the twist. I was thinking of it as a teachable moment, a twisted teachable <laughs> moment, which is do the wine glasses matter? Right. And so we thought this would be a good time to talk about it. 
Um, or, or actually, I, it's it's not just wine glasses because, you know, the wine snobs have their own phrase for it. Yes, wine snobs call it stemware. Yes. They although, although they've come out with glasses with no stems. I don't know what you call stemware without stems. Stemlessware. Stemlessware. Yes. Good. Yes, you can't. Uh, careful, you can, that's you, probably copyrighted by somebody, yes, trademarked by somebody, yes. and we're now going to get sued. Yes. Don't, yeah. Well, you know, my theory is I, I just go straight for the bottle. <laughs> that's right. I, I Who needs glass. a glass? As, as, right. as, as you have often said, it just slows things just down. Just slows things down. <laughs> All right. All right. But, so let's talk about this before we kid around too much. So Riedel makes more than 100 different glasses. Right. One, and when we say different glasses, we literally mean different shapes, sizes of wine Materials glasses, even, yeah. Um, so that no matter what you're drinking, it has to have its own special little glass. Yeah, and I, I spent a little time on their website looking, and they have, they have you know, you can, you, you, it, almost this obscure race, there are 6,000 grapes that people make wine out of, so it wasn't right. quite all of them, but there are many, many, many grapes. Yes. And they have a recommendation. Sometimes they overlap. It's not like one only one glass per grape, but they have many, many, many different recommendations. And... So this is the first question, Paul. Do people need that many glasses? Okay, this is a simple answer. No, <laughs> they don't. In fact, in fact, I mean, yeah. Um, basically, many good restaurants make do with one basic glass, about mm-hmm. an 8-ounce, 10-ounce, nice wine glass. Some restaurants will go with an 8-ounce for reds and maybe a 10 or 12-ounce, I mean for whites and a 10 or 12-ounce for reds. So maybe two different sizes. But other than that, you don't need all of those glasses. And of course, the Riedel Company makes this big deal about how the shape of the glass and the shape of the the mouth of the glass actually affects the flavor of the wine. But you have some opinions on that based on well, research that was done 50 years ago, and it's, it's actually 100. Funny. Yeah, yeah, it's actually not my opinion uh, because my opinion doesn't <laughs> matter. This is Hildegard Heyman. She is the head of sensory evaluation at UC Davis. So and and she might know something. Well, she might be because she's considered the, the premier sensory scientist in the world. Kind of like you and me. Y- yes, yes. Very much like you and yes. me. Yes, we, we, we're often confused, the three of us. <laughs> and uh, this, is her, uh, this is her quote, total crap. Total the, crap. The tongue map is total crap. You know, you gotta love an academic yeah. who doesn't hide her 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 <laughs> I was position say, behind a come long. Come on, Hildegard. Can you be a little straightforward about this? <laughs> total uh, crap. And she says it is a, a bad interpretation of bad research. Right. E, despite the fact it was taught in grade school for years and years. Well, and years. I was certainly taught when I was a little kid that you tasted. Uh, what, uh, acid on the sides of your tongue mm-hmm. and sweetness on the tip of your tongue and all the rest of that stuff. But that and was— bitterness goes into your core, I think. <laughs> yes. Bitterness, just, you just it never, absorb it. Yes, it never leaves um, you. <laughs> but that apparently, Hildegard Heyman has said they use bad data to start with, and everyone who's ever attempted to recreate those findings right. discovered— right. Eh, Ain't true. But here's, and this is actually an important bit of information is what Hildegard and the sensory eval folks at UC Davis say is that everybody's taste buds are like their thumbprint. Everyone is completely unique. Right. Which is why, and we talk about this all the time, which is why everybody tastes differently. Everybody tastes wine differently. And so, you know, so right off the bat, there's a little problem with that. They have, Rita has since changed that. They talk more about, a little bit more about the smell. But I I did, I did like this. They were talking about, um, this is an example of, we should, could, should use this for horrible wine writing. 
They're talking about um, about the stem. I, I wish, Rick, that horrible wine writing were so rare <laughs> that, that we would have to save up little snippets yes, like this. But unfortunately, true. they pop up just about everywhere. Yeah, you know, I, basically when we when we start to plan a show, I just I read the first two <laughs> reviews I can find, <laughs> and one of them's bad enough. Yep. We're good to go. Yep. This was well. This is them talking about the size of the stem. You know, the the between the base and the bowl. That's the stem. The, right. You know, the, and right. This is the quote: "The size of the bowl has to be in proportion to the height of the stem and the width of the base. Respecting the exact ratio between these dimensions ensues the glass is correctly and seamlessly proportioned." That's double talk. Basically, what it says wow. is if it's well proportioned, it it's ensures that well it's well proportioned. proportioned. Yes, <laughs> I think that's. Well, I've always said that. Yes, I said that about you, Paul. By the way, you know, did you? Yeah, I do. Good. I tell okay. people. If they I appreciate ask. that. Yeah. So, but. I will say this. Um, I have, I mean, I mean, does it matter? Well, there's there's all kinds of choices. And, you know, I always sort of, I, I like big glasses just because they look fun. They're fun. But right. I did go to uh, a tasting. Um, it was thrown for us, a couple of us. Um, uh-huh. And it was a glass comparison. So mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. knew this was coming. We right. sat down. Right. And there were six different glasses for the whites and eight different glasses for the reds mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. both included that motel glass that you can't break if you had a hammer yes yeah um and you know and there were big glasses and nice glasses and small glasses and yep. they said here's here's take some tasting notes tell us what wines right. you think these are right so we know they're messing with us right and yet we still thought in the whites we thought there would be was two of them we thought this is a, a winery it was franciscan and they yep. were very nice yep. about it and they had they have two different chardonnays and we thought it was you know one of some of them were one, some of them were the other. Right. And then, but now one of the things Hildegard Heyman would say, I believe, because she's an actual real scientist instead of wine snobs playing with wine glasses and thinking they're learning something, <laughs> is, you know, another way to do that is to tell people, give them six glasses. The glasses are identical. And if, if there's the wine the same or different, that's and a very they good will point still too. tell you the wine well, is different. Yeah, you know, but I, I sort of play this game a lot too. Anyway, I'll say we so we we thought that there were two two different whites and three different reds of, and it right. turned out they were all the same wine, all the same wine. You know, and right, um, and so and I have played with this game this game at home yep. with my poor uh, and yep. patient wife. Yep. And and there is a difference. Yep. She must be pretty patient. Oh, dear Lord. Uh, <laughs> you have no idea. Not again, Rick. <laughs> oh, yeah. Smell this cork. Can I just have Never a, smell that cork. Can I just have a glass of wine? <laughs> like, okay. Wait, wait, what does that look like to you? No, this, um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, but I think I think most people would tell you that you know what that the, the glass matters to a point. The sure. question is how much does it matter? And maybe the better question is can that exactness of a wine glass company, whether it's Riedel or somebody else, uh, actually do what they tell you they're going to do? Well, and again, a huge amount of this is power of suggestion. You are absolutely right. Drinking wine out of a dip- Dixie cup and drinking wine out of a nice stemmed glass is going to be a different experience. What if it's a stemmed Dixie cup? Yeah, that well, I haven't seen one of those. Maybe you could make me one and we could try <laughs> well, it. But <laughs> the there, break, there are a couple of, I mean, there's so many variables get involved in this, but they're so minor. Yeah. I mean, one of the things is you pour your wine into a larger glass or a smaller glass. Well, temperature probably makes more of a difference in the way the wine tastes than the shape of the glass for a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure that if you have a larger glass, it has a tendency to heat the wine up a little more because there's more glass weight, thermal Mass what if there? I put it in the fridge? 
You could put them all in the fridge. I mean, but the point is, right. you know, you sit down, you lay right. out six glasses and you tell people and they'll tell me what's different. And I could do the same thing by serving the wine slightly different temperatures. I could. And, and well, here's, yes. here's my biggest concern, which is there are people out there who think they need 15 different kinds yes. of wine glasses well, to enjoy wine. And I got to say yeah. that in this case, I am going to couch my opinion in the words of a famous academic from UC Davis, what total crap. <laughs> yeah. You know, there. Uh, I mean, I think that f- from my standpoint, actually, I, I do know I've, I've settled on a couple of things. I do like thinner glasses for whites. You know, I think what, what one of the things, and Hildegard actually talked about this, too, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. We're, on, we're on first name basis, so I can, Are you? I can call her that. Yeah. yeah you call her Hildegard, and what does she call you? She calls you, oh, you're that guy <laughs> who I talked to a couple of months ago, and you're right. back again. <laughs> now, she's actually very... Very nice person. Yes, and um, and and she's actually, you know, she does take press calls all the time, and she's very good about this. And what she yeah. says is, you know, you really need to remember what is taste. It's smell. It's so predominantly it is purely smell. smell. And so, yeah. with a large bowl, you're going to smell more than a small bowl. That's true. And so, it changes what you smell. Yep. Now, is it better or worse? It's your preference. Right. I have decided in that 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 I like large glasses. I really do like the big glasses. Mm-hmm. So I really like Pinot small Noir. guy. Kind of likes the large it's glass. A, you I mean, know, there may be a, a compensation. I could be overcompensating yeah. it totally. Um, <laughs> I do like those the Pinot Noir, the Burgundy glasses. I like yeah, and you know I what? like the feel of drinking out of them. I like those. They look pretty on the table until I put them on my table and I realize they're thirty five bucks oh. a piece. And if I break I one, I use those. <laughs> I break one, it's a disaster, and then I start thinking, you know, that nice little 10-ounce glass over there looks pretty good to me right now. I I use the ones that I got for showing up at a Pinot Noir event. Right. Yeah, yeah but that thing. means you've got, each one has a different logo on it and a oh, yeah. slightly different shape. I'm trying to show that I've traveled. It's like right. it's like the stickers you used to put on your suitcase. suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so that's for Pinot. But, I, you know, really, in in the real, I would have a smaller, a slightly thinner glass for mm-hmm. whites and a slightly larger glass for reds, and I, I'm totally happy. Yeah. yeah. And it's um, yeah. And, in, and a paper cup when and, in and doubt. And even to that point, you know, these days when you visit um, Champagne, they normally serve champagne these days in a small white wine glass. They yeah. don't even go for the flutes yeah. anymore. Well, you know, you and I are on a trip to Franciacorta, the lovely sparkling wine region in, in Italy. In Italy, where they yes. used fairly good sized. Uh, yep. uh, they used what what we would might think of as Bordeaux style glasses. Yeah. And uh, and I I found that a really good way to taste. Yep. I, I thought because I smelled because we we would smell yeah. it a lot, you know, yeah. and so and after all. It, Taste is primarily yeah. smell. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, before we go too far, we also do need to say that if uh, we were joking about me drinking wine out of the bottle, which uh, it's We happened. were? We, well, I was, well, my point being that <laughs> it was no joke. <laughs> it was no joke. There are, you've had, you've had your share of uh, wine I would say moments. one of the most memorable bottles of wine I've ever had in my life was, was consumed directly from the bottle. We were in the Loire Valley of France. We'd stopped at a little country market, bought half of a, uh, a rotisserie rabbit, a loaf of French bread, a chunk of absolutely fabulous cheese. We bought a bottle of wine at this same little market, and my wife and I sat on a bench overlooking the river. There's a huge chateau on the other side. We didn't even have any napkins. She had to pull out a bandana that she carries around in her purse with her, and we sat there and ripped that rabbit to 
pieces with our hands and our teeth, and we <laughs> drank bottle the wine straight from the bottle. And I still think back on that as being a really, really wonderful way to spend time with the person you love. Yeah, well, my, my wasn't quite the person I love, but I have another one of those when wine tastes best out of the bottle was yeah. was on a was was you know I was young and it was a sailing ship cruise, which basically uh-huh. a bunch of young people and you pull ropes and stuff like that, you know. Right. And, and Actually, I'm, you pull lines. Uh, but. Fine. So you're a boat snob now. <laughs> I'm a boat snob. Exactly. Not a wine snob, but I'll be a boat snob yeah, any old day. They're all they're, they're everywhere. They're everywhere, folks. <laughs> so we and we, you know, a cup. To, another guy and I. Our job was to go to the store and get wine. I didn't know anything about wine. Right. And we were. It was the. It was Island of Montserrat, which had some French connections and. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, we go to a store and there's some wines from France, so we bought a couple of those, and we thought, you know, the appropriate thing to do before we bring this to the rest to our, our rest of our friends is to taste it. Yes, and it was a really good wine. Yeah, and so we sat there actually on the on the you know sitting there on the dock, you know, and waiting for our friends right. and finished the bottle of wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and but it was just the, what a beautiful view, and it's you know, and it's and it, frankly, if we had had uh, stemware, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been the same. That's right. Well, so, I have a friend who tells a wonderful story about teaching a class on the great dessert wines of the world and taking his class to a really good wine shop in San Francisco and pointing out to them that they had a bottle of Chateau de Chem there that was a pretty good price. And they're walking back out of the store. They're walking back to their school. And as they're walking along, the students are talking to him about that Chateau de Chem. Now, what would you have served this with? And he suddenly realizes they're using a funny tense. They're talking as if they bought the bottle and are drinking it. And he turns around, and sure enough, they have pulled the cork, and out of a brown paper bag, they are passing it around the class as they walk down the street. What would you have served this with? This is really good. Yeah, way to go, guys. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, speaking of really good, we are going to— That's us. Well, I was thinking we have some good questions. Oh, good. Okay. Um, This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Next up, we will answer some of those questions. Stay with us. listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it is time to take some questions from listeners. If you'd like to ask us a question, you could go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free with just a little bitty click. If you're new to us, by the way, and you might want to know what qualifies us to be answering questions or defending anyone's right to tell a joke. Well, we are the butt of many jokes. And often deservedly so. <laughs> but uh, besides that, Paul is a respected industry pro, uh, butt of many jokes notwithstanding. He answers <laughs> questions at allexperts.com. He teaches Napa Valley College, a Culinary Institute of America around the world, sometimes even on a cruise like you were not so long ago. That's right. And Rick is a consultant to both wineries and restaurants and uh, New York Times bestselling author and a book about wine and longtime journalist and a wine combinator for Capital Public Radio, where we record this show. Yes, and something of a joke here, too, I might add. <laughs> All right. Our first question is one we answered before, but I liked this question, and it fits. Uh, it fits, the, so I dug it back out. And and our answers are rarely so Yes, it's going to be that... completely opposite. This <laughs> <laughs> right. was from Heather Castillo, and she's from Ronan Park, and she said, my parents came back from a trip to Mexico with those really beautiful, really thick kind of painted glasses that were more like goblets than wine glasses. Yeah. I've been trying to tell them they probably aren't the best for making the wine taste great. They don't care. Advice. If they don't care, they don't care. They don't care. Um, You know, ancient wine glasses would have all been this way. People didn't use crystal glasses until much later. 
So on the one hand, her parents are just drinking out of out of glasses the way people drank out of glasses glasses for thousands of years. Dribbling now, down the side. That's, that's well, always the downside to those goblets. Heather is right that it's, you don't see the color of the wine so well and all the rest. But if that's what their her parents like, if that feels right on their table... You know, there are so many things you can get excited about in life. This just doesn't strike me as being one of them. Yeah, you know, I think this is kind of, if there's any real advice, we, were, we just talked about that for more than 10 minutes, and there was probably no real advice. If there's any real <laughs> advice about wine glasses, it is get something that that you like using. That it's, you like using. That, that you're you like comfortable using. using. Right. Could be big, could be small. I, really, like I said, I like the large glasses. I, You know, I just, uh, maybe I'm overcompensating, as Paul suggests, <laughs> nonetheless. Um, and, and so, but if you like the goblets, if you like champagne yeah. flutes for yeah. your Cabernet. If that's what it takes it. to get you to open a bottle of wine and drink it, that's, that's what you need. Yeah, I agree. Yep. So, uh, yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. And, wait, and if you don't like that uh, when you're there, Heather, you can pull out a wine glass and drink yours. Yeah, Heather. just carry one in your back yes. pocket. and like the rest of the us. The foldable stemware. <laughs> that's the next one. Yeah, that's that Dixie cup with the stem that's coming out. All right, our next one is from Jeffrey in Placerville. It's, uh, what do you guys think of those little aerators? Yeah. Well, I know what I think. They make a great sound. Okay. Yeah. I like, I like pour. I poured orange juice through. Well, once. first of all, let's talk about why are there aerators? Because somebody thought if I make aerators, I can sell them to people. Well, now careful. But that's you're, not, it's not careful, actually the We're getting reason. into Hosemaster of Wine territory there with that comment. <laughs> um, the whole theory behind decanting your wine, there are two reasons you decant a wine. One of them is if there's a lot of sediment in the bottle. If you do it carefully, you can pour the wine off the sediment. Leave the sediment in the bottle and leave the wine in the decanter. But the other reason, particularly with white wines, I'm sorry, young wines, is that you want to pour it into the decanter to expose it to air because air helps the wine get excited and it aromatizes, it volatilizes, and things start smelling better. So easy way to aerate a wine, pour it into a decanter. If that didn't aerate it enough, pour it back into the bottle. If that didn't aerate it enough, pour it back into the decanter. Or you can buy one of these little toys, machines, and gadgets, and it'll aerate your wine. So will a lot of other things. I've had a, I've had a sommelier once pour the wine into a decanter, clap her hand over the top of the decanter, and shake it like a mariachi. Worked. Did it sound like a mariachi? No, it sounded sort of like, um, um, it, well, anyway, it, it sounded wetter than <laughs> yeah. a mariachi. Well, and you know, if you and if you like this sort of thing, it really is. It's a pretty easy thing. You don't have to get a decant, especially if you're not finishing the bottle of wine. You know, right. you, you can pour it. You pour it. At this little guy. It does make this cool kind of sucking sound that I would try to make, <laughs> but it would just sound terrible on the air. And it is, um, and and it is. It's it's another way. You know, it's yeah. it's an it is one of those things. You know, we we often sound sort of wishy washy about stuff like this, and and it's not that we think this is a horrible idea or a great idea. No, it really what we is, think if it is works wine for you. doesn't have to be that complicated. You can just drink wine by pouring it into the glass. The single best way to aerate a bottle of wine is to pour it into a glass and swirl the glass around. You can practice it. Especially if you're like Rick and you have one of those big glasses, you can really <laughs> right. swirl it around a lot, and that's okay. That'll aerate the wine. Yeah, you can. Um, you can also uh, drink it and then jump up and down. <laughs> it's probably not going to do it though, is yeah, it? Yeah, I don't no. think that'll aerate no. it. Okay. I, don't think your, I think your stomach is pretty anaerobic. All right. All right. Well, which brings up uh, we have a question that is sort of down this line. Okay. And it was actually jumping up and down. Yes, it was about it. Well, no, is this is from Christine Wong in Garden Grove, and is uh -huh. right down this line. She says, "I'm trying to buy my dad a decanter. Is there a difference in the shapes? Do they matter? I'm not exactly sure what they're used for." 
So we were okay, happy to talked that about, about that. what they're used for, which is either to separate the sediment or to aerate the wine. There are a couple of shapes that really stand out. Um, the what is called the ship's decanter is the one with a really big flat bottom, and then it comes up to a nice, nice spout at the top. Those are quite literally ship's decanters because, because they were they, used. They don't spill. On ships, and ships ah. rock and roll, and the decanter doesn't. Wow. Okay. Um, on the other hand, my wife and I at our little cabin uh, up in the mountains, we use an old milk bottle because it works just fine. Mm. Um, I would only say beware decanters with really complicated artistic shapes. Because they're the, hard to clean. The A, they're hard to clean, and B, when you pick one up and you start pouring the wine, you would be amazed how many different places that wine goes that you're not expecting it to because it flows out of those things differently. Right, when you pour out. it back into the port from the glass. Yeah, there's, you know, there, uh, I, I was, <laughs> I was actually at a restaurant where they had, it was where it's split. I'm, I'm making a shape because we're on radio. Right, right. Um, it's but a, it's, it's a split. circular decanter. Yes, a circular decanter. And, um, but that also had a, a squiggly, like a screw down the middle. So, uh-huh. it, so it was an O <laughs> with a screw down the middle. And this was, as the, uh, the very nice wine person said, this was what they called an aggressive decanter. Um, the, the idea being that it was for a, it like, gave a, a lot of air to a the wine. wine that was very young and probably would need to be. And, uh, and it went, look, it was awesome going in. It really was uh-huh. this, this cool little light show. Yeah. It was just as good a light show coming out because it didn't come out evenly. <laughs> no, it didn't. So, yeah. so so, and it came, kind of came out in waves. You kind of want it in your glass, though, don't you? And, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> but it was, and it was, was funny was that wine coming down the screw sort of built up momentum. That's right. And so it was pouring, 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 and then it was just, a swash. And it was all over the table. And actually, what there the was a plus side of it being all over the table was that somebody spilled on my wife, and it wasn't me. All right. Uh. Well, that is it for our questions. We will have lots more when we come back in the second half of the show. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. That is our happy, sad music. Happy because it's fun. Sad because what it represents. Bad wine writing is on its way. It is on its way, and and we have uh, we've got uh, we've got a pretty good uh, pretty good decent examples today. I would think. Well, I'm going to start with a word that um, people often use about you, Rick. Uh, Vigorous. Oh, I thought brilliant. No. Oh. (laughs) No, I've never heard that. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, come to think of it, neither have I. (laughs) Vigorous. I have no idea what this means in terms of wine. It is actually a good word to use in the vineyard. When the vine is growing too fast, they call that vigorous, and it often means that it's putting out too much foliage and not enough grapes. Um, and it makes the it makes means that the vine is out of balance. But a vigorous wine makes it sound a little bit as if you probably want to run it through one of those decanters to settle it down a little bit because it's just a little too bouncy and may not stay in the glass. So you're saying that I should settle down is what you're saying? I'm saying you should <laughs> For, put your head in a glass. Yeah, and, well, it's yeah. not the first. That's not the only place I've been told to put my head. But, <laughs> or actually, just pull it. That's another thing. <laughs> Let's not go there. All right. Um, what I, have you got? There's one um, that is just – oh, I, I just got to read it. It's short, okay. but boy. Seriously stylish and focused. Mm. Pure. All black fruit, blackberries, plums, chokeberries, raspberries, bilberries, blueberries, intense palate, beautifully controlled, ripe, velvety, firm, ripe tannins. 
Dear Lord. How well, many so, fruits you got in there? So, well, here's the berries. Let me count the berries. It almost, it almost sounds like it's a berry ad. Is, so there's black, all black fruit. And these got raspberries, by the way. So that's not really a black fruit. Right. Uh, blackberries, <laughs> chokeberries, which I have no idea what chokeberries taste like. So raspberries, that's three. Billberries, right. blueberries. So that's five berries right there. And I do know what billberries taste like only because I wrote a story about blueberries once before. Yes. They taste like blueberries. Well, that's why they're next to the blueberries. Yeah, well, that's yes, well done. Because least, if it tastes like at, blueberries, it must have bilberries at, as well. At least he grouped them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also wonder what seriously stylish is. Is that like somebody wears the hat pulled down over their that's eye? That's sort of the yeah yeah exactly. That's a, that's the sort of um, film noir style. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, well, it dresses like film noir. Yeah. All right. And yes. Well, this is uh, this, and you know, even even if in some planet somebody knew what all those berries tasted like dear lord somebody's gonna get that out of a glass it's, of wine as hugh johnson says it's not a bloody fruit it, cocktail no, it this smells like wine and this does not even uh, sound like a good bloody f- f- no cocktail. all right you are listening to bottle talk with rick and paul don't forget you can find us on itunes and subscribe for free with just a click when we come right back we are going to have some history for you You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I I'm just I'm I'm so stunned and proud to be around those those trumpeters. They they, they just do a great job every week. They do they do they do. Um, all right, this is time for our historic history month, Paul. What minor little piece of history did you bring in today? Well, I thought since we're talking about glasses, let's talk about one of the greatest glasses of all time, which is the Holy Grail. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I was joking. I, it's not a minor piece of history. Now, if yes. you've seen uh, the Indiana Jones movies, you know that the Holy Grail is the cup called in Greek the kylix, which is where we get the term chalice that Christ and the, his disciples drank out of at the Last Supper. And, of course... Going back to our friend Heather, uh, it was almost certainly a ceramic or possibly even wooden uh, cup, more or less in the shape of one of those champagne saucer glasses. Um, But the thing that I find fascinating is that in the ancient world, there was usually only one wine cup for the table. Really? Yes. So it wasn't as if everybody had their own glass. There was there was the servant brought the wine and the cup, and he poured the wine to the cup, and you drank, and then you gave him the cup back, and he took it to somebody else. So it wasn't like everybody had their own glass. It was everybody sharing one glass, taking turns. And you can imagine someone who wanted to hold the glass up and make a speech would be encouraged to pick up the pace a little. Larry down at the end of the table wants another <laughs> glass of wine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's... Now, the Holy Grail becomes really important in the Middle Ages because, remember, all of King Arthur's knights, one of the things they were supposed to do was the knight who was absolutely pure of heart and soul would be able to find the Holy Grail. And they all looked for it. Sir Galahad, of course, was the, the prime champion. But I discovered when I was teaching, I was teaching some, giving some lectures at the International University in Valencia, Spain. Mm-hmm. And I wandered around the old town of Valencia for a little bit. wandered Looking into, for the Grail? Or? Well, in fact, I wasn't looking for it, but I found it. Because in the cathedral of Valencia, they have the Holy Grail. It's sitting right there in a Just jeweled case. Look. It looks remarkably like a middle-aged... Uh, a drinking cup from the Middle Ages, not from 
you know, the Roman times. But it's right there, and there is a signed document next to it from the Pope saying this must be the Holy Grail. So I think we ought to let King Arthur and his guys know. Well, that's the problem. They were in the wrong country. That's right. They, they, were, were, they were looking in the wrong places, yeah, yeah. looking for Grail in all the wrong places. Yeah, I've, I've heard that happens. <laughs> well, mine is about a legend. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yeah, you know, it's the... the they call it the coupe glass in in cocktail world, but it's yes, that it's little the saucer glass. It's the saucer glass that uh, that everybody on Mad Men was drinking champagne That's on, right. out of. That's um, right. And and legend has it that it was molded from Marie Antoinette's left breast. Yes. And that she wanted her court to toast to her health by drinking glasses shaped like her bosom. One would assume stemless glasses. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, I don't. I don't know what George Rita would have to say about that, actually. Um, but as it turns out, that coupe glass is goes back in recorded histories as early as 1663. Oh, Rick, and so you're that's about ruining a, that's this about story. Years. Yeah, in England. However, however, uh, never fear, Marie Antoinette. Uh, by the way, well, she did have uh, something molded after her breasts. They yes. were, and this is going to get a little freaky here. Porcelain bowls. They were porcelain bowls and had three pigs' heads as the feet. And okay, so they were not stemless. They were. They were. They had little legs. They, they were headwear. They, they were, were milk bowls. They were milk bowls. And here's what they were for. They were for something called a pleasure dairy. What is a pleasure dairy, you must be asking? <laughs> no, actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know. No, I don't want to you, know. You don't want to know. Well, it's pretty weird. So so this was, well, it was, there was a lot going on in France at the time. And well, among, so. <laughs> among the things was a back to nature movement for breastfeeding. Yes. Marie Antoinette was big on that movement. Good. So she thought it was it was better for the, 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 the women and, of aristocracy. She was right, although this is before... Um, before baby right. formula yes. too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but what the pleasure dairy was, the queen and her children and her ladies in waiting would dress up as a shepherdess and milk maids. And this is the word that comes up in so many different histories. They frolicked. No, they frolicked. They didn't frolic. Uh, they milked milk. They milked cows. They churned butter. They just drank milk. I they uh, this is uh, and apparently I was re- reading the Harvard University Press. Uh, although I. I, I may be misinterpreting because it was written so academically. It yeah, could, right. uh, yeah. There's no total crap in that yeah, one. Yeah, no was... total crap. <laughs> but apparently this was not uncommon among French aristocrats at the time. They uh-huh, all had uh-huh. they had pleasure uh, chore things. Well, Rick, you know, when I was growing up, we had pleasure chore things at the barbecues because we used to make our own ice cream. Isn't that the same thing? Yes, it's exactly the same. Yeah, okay. it was like pleasure mow the lawn day was what it was <laughs> around our house. Um, so, by all, But by all accounts, by the way, the, the coupe glass would have been far too small for the somewhat oh, robust right? Marie do we Antoinette. Have, do we have photos of her? Is she, we have drawings. Is she well endowed? She is, she is not a small one. I see. Yes. Okay. All right. You're listening to Ball Talk with what? Rick and Paul, and we are going to do something a little less goofy, and we're going to answer a few questions. And by the way, if you'd like to ask us a question— and we'll give you full credit if you do. Uh, you can go to Rick and Paul Wine, all one word, rickandpaulwine.com. Stay with us. You're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. We are going back to some questions. Uh, and uh, as a reminder, you can also find us on iTunes. We mm-hmm. are on iTunes. Um, and uh, subscribe. You can subscribe for free. It makes life really simple. You just click on it. And then we are and with then you. And we're in your ear. Everywhere you go. We become earworms We are there for you. Yes. All right. Our first question comes from uh, Melissa in Monterey. It's a good question. I like this question. Mm. I was at a wine bar in the middle of the day. 
it was a long week. Give me a break. This is her talking. <laughs> Good for you, Melissa. <laughs> and the guy behind the bar was tasting some wines from a guy who was selling them. He, the guy behind the bar asked, is this co-fermented? What is that, and how could he tell? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, okay. he probably couldn't tell. He could not tell. However, um, co-fermented, uh, normally... Uh, each kind of grape that is harvested is picked and fermented in its own tank. And then the winemakers afterwards, if they're going to blend things together, they usually blend it after they've fermented. Right. And so, you know, we, we have talked in the past also, often that, that that wine, if it says Cabernet Sauvignon, it does not have to be 100% Cabernet. And right. often, it, most often it's not. So it might have some Merlot or something else something in there. Else. And yeah. so this is what Paul's talking about here. Or but it could be one, just separate vineyards. But one of the traditions of the Rhone Valley of France, where they grow Syrah and they grow um, uh, Grenache and, for that matter, they grow Viognier. Uh, one of the traditions from that region is to grow not only those different grapes, Viognier being a white, um, Grenache and Syrah being red, but sometimes even in the same vineyard. And they would pick the vineyards and they would ferment the reds and the whites in the same tank as if you you don't it's even care. Cats marrying dogs. Well, it's just mice horrific marrying to think about. elephants. Yes. It's oh, it's just craziness. And it actually turns out that the wine sometimes does perform a little differently. The fermentation goes a little different. Actually, it turns out that with a little white wine in there, sometimes the color extraction actually is more rather than less. Kind of unusual. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, and that's in fact that is uh, and that comes up a lot. By the way, just as an aside about you know that that uh, those wines. That that part of the, of France, um, and but we see this you see this in in, in uh, California a lot in places like Paso Robles and right. and the and the right. foothills, the Sierra foothills where they they do a lot of Rhone wines and there's Viognier is a popular wine and it shows up in right. in the Reds and it does it actually it also I've been told that also some winemakers believe this others say it's including Hildegard Haim and Total Crap. Total Crap. That it fixes the color, that the color right. will stay longer right. when you use it. Right. Now, the wines we're talking about in France would be called Côte du Rhone. They'd be called Gigonda. They would be called um, uh, Saint-Joseph, Chateauneuf de Pape, Hermitage. All of the Côte Roti, all of those are um, different different wines from the Rhone region where this would happen. And um, th the reason the guy's asking is, first of all, he wants to show that he knows. Yes, well, yes. But then the second reason is he, he wouldn't have guessed from tasting, but he might well have guessed knowing that he was tasting a red Rhone blend to say to the guy who's selling it to him now, was this co Oh, because it just might have been. Because it just might have been because that's the way a lot of people make the wine. Well, I, f I find the guy selling. Well, Chris, the guy selling it, so you, you're um, you're – you're being nice to the guy, so you know your answer is good call. But you know if, right. if if it's if it's anybody else and you you're not trying to win favor with them, <laughs> you're saying seriously, you think you can taste that? Well, my, my my actually my answer would be well, if you can taste it, then you should be able to tell me. Yes. And if you can't taste it, shut up about it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually a really pretty good question for for. Um, a pretty good answer to all those to all the wine geeky wine questions. snob things right. when they say, That's so right. is this? And the answer is, well, you tell me. You, That's you, right. You're, you think, yeah. yeah. All right. What else you got? 
This is from Stephen in Elk Grove. We get this, a question like this uh, a lot, and it's a really good question. It's when a server or someone asks, what kinds of wines do I like? What can I tell her so I'll get something good? Well, something good, but what, what Stephen's saying is something that I will like. Well, but I'm not sure he is, and I think this is what's really fascinating about this question because I think Stephen is a little afraid that what he normally likes to drink, the sommelier may not think is good wine. Oh, you're you're reading... Well, uh, well let's and answer both so of those. so then his question, is, okay, so I normally drink this inexpensive wine that I buy at the local shop, but if I tell her that, she's going to give me some garbage that she doesn't like because she doesn't think the wine that I like tastes good. Well, then he should ask for something co-fermented. <laughs> <laughs> In a really big stem. In a big, stem. yes. <laughs> That's right. And so he's looking for, but actually, Stephen, if you want to find a wine that you like, the best way, and, and my definition, Stephen, of a good wine, he's asking how I get something good, good wine, it's wine you're going to like, Yeah, yep. is to tell the sommelier, these are the wines I like to drink. What do you got that tastes like them? Yep. Yeah, and it's just that simple. And you remember that psalm is there to serve you. You're, you, you're not there to try to impress her. Right. Even if she's an attractive sommelier, or, or he's he. an attractive prom sommelier, right. either way, you are not. Your job, their job, is to serve you. Yep. And if they're any good at their job, they should not be judging. You and, know, I heard a, I heard a, a great. Um, I had watched a great interaction at a big wine conference uh, about a year ago. Uh, David Glancy, who's a master sommelier, runs the San Francisco Wine Academy, a, a true wine expert, was in the audience with me, and it was a restaurant that was explaining how they serve wine to their various. Um, uh, demographics to various people who come into the restaurant. But the one thing the guy who owned the restaurant was saying was that he was absolutely adamant that they do not have any white Zinfandel. The restaurant, the restaurateur yeah. was saying that. And David couldn't keep his hand down. He finally had to ask and basically said, why not? Because if that's what people want to drink, why wouldn't you want to make them happy? Yes. And his point was, and I talked to him later about it, he said, Paul, I've worked at any number of restaurants. We may not have it on the list, but if somebody comes into my restaurant and says, you know what I really like is white Zinfandel and I don't see any on the list, David goes back to the back room and there is a case of white Zinfandel and he pulls out a bottle and he makes that person happy and they leave him a tip and everybody goes home with a smile on their face. Yeah. What's wrong with that picture? Right, right. So in other words, you only carry wines that you like, that you will be, that you want to drink. That I mean, that's, can, that's no way to... you can yeah. force your customers to right. then, yeah. Yes. So, which, which runs, uh, it's still, so Stephen, and I, you know, we've, we, this is our weekly, Rick's weekly admonition about how to <laughs> decide what wine you like and don't, which is when you find wines you like, take out your cell phone, take a picture. And even if you can't pronounce the name, you got the picture. When the, the sommelier comes over and says, "What do you like to drink?" you can pull out the phone and say, "Well, you know, it's funny. We had an interesting wine the other night that I liked very much. Here, here's the picture. Show the picture to yep. the psalm. You're home free." Yeah, and and the other half of the or the other piece of the equation though is. If you run into wines you don't like, and surely you will, yes. take a picture of those two. Now, you have a system for uh, I have a system. My system is you turn your your phone horizontal for the ones you don't like. Right. And you keep it vertical for the ones you do like. Now, yeah. if, if this is or your you system— Or you could have someone photobomb the wines you yes, don't like. Yes, have somebody dash into the picture. <laughs> um, the one thing I was to say, if you have you know all the ones you like one way and all the ones you don't like another way, don't get that confused because you're going to end up with <laughs> a really right. bad one. Yeah. But but it's very important. It was well, not very important, but it's it's also useful though for them to know that wine 
the kinds of things you don't like. Absolutely. And, and that and that you'll get you'll go way down the road towards getting something that that you're going to like. But yep. it's also okay. Don't feel like you need to say uh, bilberries and chokeberries and all those other things. That's but if right. there's something about a wine you like. Whether it's smooth, and we've had we did that show yes. a couple of weeks ago where some yeah, yeah. somebody was telling, don't tell. Yeah, if you like a wine that you think is smooth, that's great. Or if you like a wine that you feel has bite to it, and I know some people like wine yep. with what they consider having bite yep. or whatever it is, yep. or tons of fruit or not so much fruit. You you get to say in any way that works for you. Don't feel like you have to talk in wine talk. Although the you are you stand a better chance of getting a wine you like if you tell them the wine. Than if you use words sure. that the rest of the world doesn't use to describe wine, because to sommelier and smooth, I'm going to say any sommelier who doesn't know what smooth means probably should be working somewhere else. They probably shouldn't be a sommelier. <laughs> right. But some of those terms, you know, I've had people tell me, you know, I like a I like a wine that has a real sort of green character, and you think, okay, does that mean green like in Vigno Verde? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, does yeah. it mean green in that the fruit is fruit isn't ripe? Green is used in wine language in different ways to mean different things. You're better off showing them or telling them the name of a wine you really like. Yeah, and actually, if the, if the the wine person is any good too, they'll they'll ask you some they'll questions. They'll keep asking they, questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that that'll help get there. Um, yeah, the easiest way to find out what somebody likes is to ask more and more questions. Yeah, 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 and 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 you know, help them say, help me, help you. What what can I tell you? And that's the other thing too is right. get them to ask you questions. Yep. I mean, especially if you're in a place that, that has sort of a, something of a of although, a, although a, a it, decent. That's the hard part because most people are so frightened, right. that they don't want to talk, and yet. The only way to get what you want is to talk. Okay, so Stephen, what you do is you say, Rick and Paul said, you should ask me more questions. <laughs> That's what they, uh, yes. Good. And they'll say. Absolutely. I, I've heard, and the, the, the wine person will, will say, say, I've heard their show, get out of my restaurant. <laughs> or who the hell are Rick and Paul? <laughs> and <laughs> either either way, it's not going to do you or any favors. they may just cut, quote yes. Hildegard. Yes, <laughs> there you go. In fact, you know, you're, you're usually better off if you don't bring us up. <laughs> All right, we have another one. This is from Allison and Marin. Mm-hmm. She says, how do I know when I'm supposed to open a wine? You don't have that problem, Rick. I just, as soon as I get it home, uh, as she <laughs> says, I see in that in, in wine magazines and in tasting rooms when they say open in t- twenty nineteen or twenty ninety or something. Yeah. yeah. So this what do part, I do? This is what the car car industry ought to do: buy the car, take it home, put it in your garage, don't drive leave it. it ten years, pull it out. You're gonna love it. Right? <laughs> is that not a great plan? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 answer to this question is first of all. This assumes that wine has some sort of perfect point. And as you just said, Rick, some people like their wines with a lot of fruit and a little bite. Some people like their wines very smooth. And those are both at opposite ends of the evolution spectrum of right. a single wine. Right. So it's hard to say. Now, what the people are really saying when they say open in 2019 is the wine doesn't taste very good right now, but buy it and trust us later, you're going to love it. Which I'm always a little nervous about because, in my experience, wines that don't taste good when they're young often taste yeah bad when they're old. Yeah, it, and you know, now what have you got? Really, if, if somebody's saying won't be ready until X, go get one that's ready. <laughs> you know, there, there are plenty well, of wines that are ready to drink. In fact, you can with some of the great ageable wines. Let's talk uh, uh, Grand Cru Bordeaux. You can buy a current vintage of Grand Cru Bordeaux and for the same price, you can get the same chateau that's 10 or 15 years old and is actually in the eyes of the chateau, much readier to drink 
than the current release. So it's actually a good point. I, I think you were trying to be funny when well, you no, said I take one that's it, ready, though, to, but yeah, ready but to drink. But they're out there. Buy something that you know you can just pick off the shelf and drink. But even if you want an older wine, there are older wines for sale that you can buy. Sure. And, Absolutely. And they cost less than the current bottlings of the same chateaus. Right. And, you know, that's that's something that the world didn't used to be this way. You know, uh, uh, um, maybe in the last 30, 40 years, the winemaking has improved massively. And um, but and when you go back into the middle of last century, they they needed wine to age. They, the, the, they didn't have the vineyard techniques. They didn't have the attention to detail in some ways because they just didn't have the, mm. the manpower. Or the science. Or the science. Even and so, science. so you know, wine needed to sort of coalesce. I always sort of talk about it like a sauce. You needed a little bit of sauce time to, mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. mellow out a bit. But, mm-hmm. um, but now the vast, vast, vast majority of wines well, are we ready organize, to go. My company organizes the tastings for the Union de Grand Cru de Bordeaux, and I have to say that an awful lot of those wines— um, you know, these are wines that that classically are intended to age 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20 years. They are awfully good. I was at that tasting, and they were awfully good fact, down the line. To, we had to ask you to leave. That's not the first time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we are uh, we're sipping up the mailbag and moving on. Uh, our food pairing is actually uh, it's one that I like, and I had, and there's a great Italian restaurant next to me, next or close to me. So I brought this up. It's pasta with smoked chicken, sun dried tomatoes, and a light wine butter sauce so you've got the smokiness but you've got this the 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 little bit of the punch Have from the, lunch the sun-dried tomatoes a um, long time ago I'm, and then you've got the richness so you've got smoke I'm starving right got now smoke acid delicious rich. it's yeah. a lot of things smoke acid rich so is that an easy yeah. pairing or hard well, um, I, I think it's easy, but it's because I have a tendency to go to the Mediterranean where mm-hmm. this dish comes from. And I would drink everything from a beautiful Chianti Classico to a, remember our Rhone friends that are co-fermented. I wouldn't mind a little co-fermented Rhone wine with yeah. this. Uh, a couple of different things that would work well. Yeah. Even even a fresher, lighter style Zinfandel. We had a Larry Turley Zinfandel from Amador County the other day that would have been perfect with this dish. Yeah, see, I'd go the, the another part of the Mediterranean. And I'm I'm thinking the heart of Tuscany, and I'm thinking it's like a Sangiovese would be. Well, I said my uh, first yeah, answer was yeah. Chianti Classico. Oh uh, yes, of course. So yeah, of course. All right. Yep. All right. Well, that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Piscini. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. And thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use. If you'd like to ask us a question that we will bungle, you can go to <laughs> rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. And remember, you can find us on iTunes. And if you learned anything today, we hope is don't let the wine glass get in the way of enjoying wine. <laughs> I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember. The best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us.